Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Lord, now, through your word and by your spirit, give us Jesus. Lord, in a world whose truths don't ring so true, in a world whose promises often become so empty, give us Jesus. The one who transcends this world and by his cross and resurrection invites us to experience that transcendence. The one who has made a way for us to have everlasting life with Almighty God and with all those who've gone before us. Lord, we're so thankful that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ overcomes any struggle we could ever face here. And the hope that we have in Jesus Christ overcomes even the grave. And so, Lord, stir us with that hope, even as we look toward the mechanism by which you have given it. And so, Lord, now, through your word and by your spirit, transform us by the renewing of our minds. Give us Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Over the next two weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on the mechanism whereby you and I have the opportunity to come into relationship with Almighty God. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at the way that God has made so that we could be forgiven of our sin and that we could have everlasting life in Jesus. And I want to encourage us all to do something. I want to encourage us not to just let it slip by this year. Not to become wrapped up in the trappings of another Easter celebration, but to really with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength to fix your attention on Jesus. I believe as we've come out of two years that have been radically different from any two-year period that any of us on the planet have known, with the exception of Miss Gilbert. Miss Gilbert lived through a worldwide pandemic the first time around, and now she's made it through her second worldwide pandemic, Glenda. That's unbelievable to me. But for the rest of us, we've never seen anything like this. So we're reemerging into life, and I don't know about you, but the spring is springing, and the pollen is coming, and at least now we know it's just allergies. But I want to invite us to look to Jesus and open ourselves up and say, God, show us things that we've missed before. Show us things that we didn't get. Help us understand this message more clearly than ever before, but not only help us understand it, help us to embrace it as we are embraced by it. Help us to live in the fullness and abundance of the life that you give in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll tell you, there, there may be a temptation that you will face, and it's a temptation that is an honest temptation, but the temptation is that as we walk through the events of the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you might start to feel sorry for Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus, what he endured for us. Can I tell you, don't feel sorry for Jesus. And that's not because I said so, that's because he said so. Listen, in John chapter 10, this is not our passage for today, but he said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You know, if you've lived long enough, you've dealt with some suffering that took you out of control. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you just weren't in control or at least as much in control as you would have preferred to have been? It's a hard thing to be out of control. It's a hard thing 
to have to trust others. It's a hard thing to have to know that there's a situation that directly affects you and there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. Well, I want you to know that through all of the events of his passion, Jesus was fully in control. He could easily have called down legions of angels. He could easily have saved himself. He could easily have have transformed the entire situation, but he didn't. So don't feel sorry for him because he could have, but he didn't. Well, why didn't he? Because of you and because of me. He didn't call down legions of angels to rescue him because he wanted you. And he wanted me. And I have no idea why, except for this. He said he loved us. And to prove his love for us, he came to get us. So today, as we step into a two-week period where we're approaching Easter, and next week we'll approach Holy Week in earnest, let's fix our gaze on Jesus, and let's say, Lord, teach us. Teach us how much you love us. Show us. Remind us. Because I'm going to tell you, there's some of you in this room There's some of you outside of this room. There's probably even some of you on this stage or even standing behind this podium who sometimes wonder, does God really love me? The events that we're going to look at prove that he does more than we could ever imagine, not because we've deserved it, but because he chose to. And so today I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 32 through 50. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 851. And I want to give us this theme today, Jesus submitted himself. Jesus submitted himself. We're going to see something beautiful unfold here. Mark chapter 14, John Mark is writing as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit and beginning with verse 32 tells us this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. First point that I want to give us this morning is this. Jesus submitted himself to being let down. Jesus submitted himself to being let down. Down. I want you to think about Jesus' journey with his disciples. This three-year journey with these that were leaving everything to trust him and to follow him, but they still struggled. How many times did he say, do you, do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? How many times was Jesus speaking on this level and they were hearing on this level? How many times did they let him down? Well, now, as we approach the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that, that he was anointed 
at Bethany. A pound of pure nard broken and anointing Jesus. A beautiful illustration of love and worship. And what do the disciples do? They grumble. Judas is the leader of the pack here. You know, Judas Iscariot, he's going to play into the picture here in just a minute. But he said, why in the world was this wasted? Why was this not sold? Because the money that it would provide would feed the poor for a long time. And Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you, but you're not always going to have me here with you in bodily form. What she has done is beautiful. And, and in fact, what she has done will be proclaimed everywhere the gospel has been proclaimed or will be proclaimed. But his disciples didn't understand. They're wondering why it was wasted, and she's just worshiping Jesus. Or what about in the upper room? When they all walked into the upper room to share what would become the Last Supper, the meal that we will share together on Good Friday, they were getting ready to have the first one. And nobody thought to go and get the basin and the towel to wash the feet of those who were in the room because that's what you were supposed to do when they entered the room. You were supposed to be a good host and wash the feet of those who had come. Well, nobody did it. You know why? Nobody did it because the disciples were arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. Who's the most important? They had just come away, Peter, James, and John, from the transfiguration. So they had seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and there was Peter and James and John. And, and what was on their mind and on all the disciples' minds is, which, who's, the, who's the greatest? Which one? Is it Moses or is it Elijah? Maybe it's one of us. Maybe it's Peter, James, or John. Or maybe it's one of the disciples who weren't invited to the transfiguration. But what we do know is that they were arguing about it. And as they argued, the greatest in the room got up from the most significant table the world has ever known. And he got the basin. And he got the towel. And he washed their feet. Jesus understands what it is to be let down on the Mount of Olives. I want you to listen to what preceded the text we just read. This is Mark 14, 26 through 31. And when they had sung a hymn, this is at the end of the upper room moment, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Their promises were great. Their reality was much different. Jesus submitted himself by, to being let down by those that he brought in nearest to him. And you understand what it is to be let down. And that's part of the human condition. Any amount of trust you put in a human being, they might let you down. In fact, chances are good that they will. Why? Well, because they're going to be focused on what's best for them, what's their next best move. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with you, but it's going to negatively affect you in some way. You know what it is to be let down. You know what it is to be let down by elected officials who make promises that circumstances force them not to keep. You know what it is to be let down by people that you entrust with some aspect of your life, whether that's your physical care, your spiritual care, or your emotional care. You understand what it is to be let down by the people who are closest to you. And it's not that they're trying to hurt you. It's just that whatever they do ends up hurting you. My college roommate is here today. I made him sit on the front row with me. And there was a time, our sophomore year, 
when we slept on bunks, and I was always on the top bunk, because he was bigger than me, right? So he got the bottom bunk. But it was a religion test, I think. One day, he had a test, and I was on the top bunk, and his alarm went off. And it was very close to the top bunk, and I was still trying to sleep. Now, I don't know that I did this, but I probably did this. I'm pretty sure I just reached over and turned that sucker off. And then he woke up after the test had happened. He was not happy. Now, I didn't, you still got to make it up, I think, with some penalty. You're here today. You graduated. It's fine. <laughs> I, would, I would never intentionally do that to him, but I, I did it to him unintentionally, and it affected him. Tucker, can you imagine missing a test at Center College? I mean, that's a big deal. They're proud of their tests at Center College. I didn't do it intentionally, but it still negatively affected him, right? Human beings let each other down. We all do it, and we know what it is to be let down. You might be let down by the one you call honey. Can that happen? What about the one you call mom or dad? My children have learned that their parents have feet of clay. You might have been let down by your own children. Now, I don't think grandchildren can let you down. I think they're perfect, right? They're, they just, they're perfect. They're wonderful. We know what it is, but Jesus submitted himself to being let down by human beings, and that's a hard thing to go through. He didn't have to. He could have stayed on the throne in heaven, but he came down, and he was let down by people who were looking out for themselves. Do you know why the disciples scattered? It was because they might get killed too. That's all. Do you know why Peter denied three times, I do not know the man? because he might get killed too. Just looking out for themselves, making the best decision for themselves in the moment, and in so doing, they let Jesus down. And Jesus submitted himself to that. He knew that was coming, and he went anyway. Well, there's another thing to which Jesus submitted himself that we're going to read about now, and it's a little bit more hard to read. Look with me at verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Second point today is this. Jesus submitted himself to being betrayed. Jesus submitted himself to being betrayed. Being betrayed is different from being let down. Being let down is incidental. Being betrayed is intentional. Being let down is somebody making a choice that somehow affects you. You're collateral damage most of the time. Being betrayed is somebody that you invested trust in, and they turn on you, and they target you, and they seek to benefit themselves by harming you. Now, here's the thing. The religious leaders 
had betrayed Jesus from the beginning. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So all this ministry that he did, all this great work that he did, all the healings and the miracles and even raising people from the dead, the people to whom he came rejected all of it, and they rejected him. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, that Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, catch that, he was one of the 12 closest human beings to Jesus, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. Do you hear the intentionality? He went for a reason. He didn't accidentally betray him. No, he went in order to betray him. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. There's intentionality behind betrayal. And we hate it, don't we? Have you ever been betrayed? You don't have to raise your hand. Chances are good if you've lived long enough, you have. And you know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to think you can trust somebody. And then to learn that you couldn't. To think that you could bear your soul to them and then to learn that what you bore to them was turned on you and used against you. What does it feel like to be betrayed? We don't even like to watch movies where it's depicted. Now, I've chosen a couple of examples, and with one exception, they're all, I think, at least 30 years old. But do you remember in Star Wars... You remember when Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewie are there with Lando? You know, Billy Dee Williams. I was going to tell a joke because David Tooley is a big Star Wars fan, and I always used to give him a hard time and say, what was that episode of Star Trek where Luke and Chewie, you know, flew the Death Star over to, you know. He never finds it funny. But you remember, right? Han Solo, Indiana Jones, you know, Harrison Ford, and Princess Leia and, and Chewbacca. They all go in there with Billy D. Williams, Lando, and they're with friends. They're safe, all is well, and then he pushes that button and the door opens to the banquet room and Darth Vader stands up. Do you feel it? Oh, we hate it. Or what about in the Matrix when Cypher turns on Morpheus's crew and they've called in to try to get out? And instead of getting them out, he brutally slaughters the people in the room. Or for some of you, this will carry a little bit more weight. What, when, what about when Prince Hans looked at Princess Anna and said, Oh, Anna, if only there was somebody who loved you. The sting, it hurts. Betrayal, we hate betrayal. We really hate it when it happens to us. And Jesus submitted himself to that intentionally, on purpose, knowing that it was coming for you and for me. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul wanted us to know that Jesus instituted this supper, this holy ordinance that we'll celebrate together on Good Friday right here in this room. On the night that he was betrayed, he washed the feet of the one who would betray him. Oh, what great love our God has lavished upon us. And we didn't deserve any of it because the truth is we've all turned away. The Bible says each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. God said don't, and we did. God said do, and we didn't. We call that sin. We've turned away from him. We've told him, we don't want you to have any impact in our lives. We don't want to listen to you. We don't need your judgments. We don't need your rules. We don't need your, we don't need you. We've all turned away, each of us. And yet, in his great love for us, God laid our iniquity upon his only begotten son to get to us, to rescue us. And Jesus freely submitted himself to being let down. He freely submitted himself to being betrayed. And those things are hard. But the third thing I want to call our attention to this morning is perhaps the hardest thing anyone could ever endure. I want you to look back with me at verse 36. This is before the betrayal. This is before he found the disciples sleeping. This was, this was the content of his prayer that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. Verse 36, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The third point today is this. Jesus submitted himself to being forsaken. Jesus submitted himself to being forsaken. While he was on the cross, he cried out the first line of a song. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That song's in the Bible. It's Psalm 22. Let me give you just the first couple of verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. And you was I cast, on you was I cast from birth and from my mother's womb to have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Jesus knew what was coming. And in the garden, he prayed 
as one who was 100% God, yes, but also 100% man, feeling the weight of the penalty he was about to bear. Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. His flesh was recoiling against what would come. He knew that he would be abandoned. He knew that he would go alone, that even his heavenly Father would turn his goodness away and he would be there without the ease and the solace and the goodness of his holy Father, without the ease and the solace and the goodness of those that had surrounded him for much of his life. No, he would be alone. He would go alone against false accusation, and he would be unjustly condemned. When given the option, the people would say, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. He knew it was coming, and his flesh was recoiling just as my flesh or your flesh would recoil. But there's a difference between my flesh and your flesh. If you and I were in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what we would do? Father, all things are possible for you. I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm not going through with this. They are the ones who turned away. They are the ones who chose their condemnation. They can have it. But there was something profound that happened in Jesus' words because his prayer didn't stop with, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He continued, yet, not what I will, but what you will. He knew why he had come. He knew the joy that awaited him on the other side of the cross. He knew the glory of the resurrection. He knew the glory of your resurrection. Because if you're in Christ, just as Jesus is raised from the dead, so also will you be raised from the dead. He knew the glory that awaited him for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, and he scorned its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But in this moment when his flesh and his spirit were colliding, his flesh recoiled as it ought to have. But his spirit came through, motivated by love for the Father, motivated by love for you. We're forgiven, the song says, because he was forsaken. We're accepted because he was condemned. We're alive and well. His spirit is within us because he died and rose again. And so today, on this Sunday before Palm Sunday, on this first Sunday of spring break, we look to the cross and we see that far from being out of control, our Lord was fully in control the entire way. And because of his great love for us, that makes absolutely no sense. He said, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he submitted himself to being let down, and he submitted himself to being betrayed, and he submitted himself to being forsaken. Why? So that you could be with him. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could have eternal life. For that's the only way any of us come to him by his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We don't understand your love for us, but we love you only because you first loved us. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus, you submitted yourself to so much 
so that we might be forgiven and have life. Help us never forget to remember just how much you love us. And let us walk in that love every day. In Jesus' name, amen.